It's that time once again. It is time for the program that has absolutely no commercials, no music, no jingles, and of course no agenda. Coming to you from the Curry Manor in the United Kingdom, I'm Adam Curry. And I'm John C. Dvorak here in northern Silicon Valley, California. How's the weather there, John? When I left, it was pouring down rain yesterday. It was pouring down rain yesterday. It uh, kept, kept raining all night after you'd left. And um, now it's fine. It's sunny. Oh, really? Oh. oh, crap. You guys don't deserve that. Well, right. yeah. No, it's sunny right now. But there's a looks like a... Let me look. Let's see here. It looks a little grim toward the uh, out the bay. But, I, you know, the seagulls were flying in earlier this morning. And I thought there may be a storm coming in. But I'm not seeing any evidence of it. Oh, we've got terrible weather over here. Uh, we've got uh, winds gusting 35 uh, miles an hour. There's snow up north. There's uh, There's been all kinds of stuff. P- you know, people have been trapped in vehicles for hours on end. Uh, trucks have been blown over. You don't hear much about it, but we get huh. our fair share of weather over here. Yeah, well, the UK people, in my experience has always been that they're kind of weather nutty. <laughs> That's actually funny you mentioned that. Patricia and I have a theory. If you're here in, the, in dead winter, and of course it doesn't really snow here, it does get cold, but it'll kind of hover around one or two degrees above the freezing point. Uh, the women, particularly younger girls, they walk around with short skirts, no jacket, you know, like Ugg boots, and, and, and this is rampant. And our theory is um, that, the, that the, the inhabitants of this island basically want to make a statement that says, our weather's fine. That's not true. We've got great weather over here. Just look at how I'm dressed. That's funny. That's possible. But I, my experience has always been that they, they seem to talk about the weather more than any other culture, and they also have more weather reports than anything I've ever seen. I mean, the, the TV is just, it's like you could turn one on now, I'm sure of it. Yeah, and, and the weather reports, uh, I find, are pretty good. They, they introduced this new, on BBC, uh, BBC News on television, they introduced a new software package, uh, I don't know, about a year or so ago. A lot of people were very upset. Any change like that, you know, in how you report weather, people get upset about, but it's really good. Uh, I would have to say, every single pilot I know, every aviator, um, uses that as like a, a baseline. Okay, now I know what's going to happen. <laughs> Just a normal weather report the BBC gives. And I think it's probably, that's also got to be cultural, you know, this being a, a nation that's been very dependent upon the sea, uh, both for transportation and for life. I guess it makes sense. Sea, Well, weather. anyway, I just got back from Washington State, and uh, it was raining and snowing up there. And it was 28. And you strapped on your skis... Now you put on some of those little spike things over your shoes so you don't fall on your butt. <laughs> oh man! So it was good hanging with the family. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, we had to. Uh, my daughter had some something she had to do on stage, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was. It's a, the thing is, you know, we were getting a lot of. Uh, one of the th- reasons I had to go up there is to drag down some of the meat that we buy up there. We have. Uh, you know, when you're in the more of um, rural areas, even though it's not that rural, but there's still, you can get a lot, you know, you, you buy into animals that people raise and, you, and they're raised without, you know, they're raising, just a few of them are raised. Wait a minute, raised, do you buy a share of an animal or do you buy a whole you animal? You buy a half a cow or a half a pig or a whole animal. It really? Depends. Really? But you, you get like... Uh, the quality there's not i mean you can get a certain breeds you know there, a lot of this has been lost to history in the united states anyway not so much in france for example but we have uh you know there's different breeds of pigs and they all taste different nobody would know that if they shopped at safeway but the, <laughs> no. but the fact is they all have extremely different characteristics and some are like we got some bacon in this this last pig that's just astonishing. I mean, it's just like. So where do you where do you keep it? Do you have a meat locker or? A, oh, you have to have a big you have to have a big freezer. Right. And um, and so you you pig, freeze half. A, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm I'm really intrigued. You freeze half a carcass, or I mean, yeah. or, or or do you have so the butcher cut it, it goes cuts to it a up? butcher. Okay. No, right. no, it goes to a butcher beforehand, and he and you tell him what you want. You say, look, I want to cut this way, or I want you know you can ask for French cuts or American cuts, or you can have big pieces or big roasts. Depends on what you want and you try to figure out what you're going to do I, it's not you know you always screw it up you end up with a bunch of stuff stuff you, you don't know, want not, yeah. 
not another one of these. Uh, <laughs> no more BLTs, Dad, please. So anyway, you, you and then it's all frozen. And uh, then you pull it out and thaw it out as you, as you need it. Interesting. And you do this with pork or with beef or both? Or? You do it with uh, pork, beef, and, and lambs. Oh, wow. We, we should probably... And, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, but you, go ahead. I mean, it's just like you could probably do that in the British. I mean, I'm sure in Britain there's people doing the same thing. It's just that you have to be in the in the right loop. Yeah. Uh, Patricia and I have been talking about this uh, for a while now that, um, you know, because we usually go to either uh, Sainsbury's or Marks and Spencer over here. Marks and Spencer, which is, you know, a little more upscale, but it's still all prepackaged food. And, you know, just, um, I don't know, probably the past uh, three or four months we've been saying, you know, we really should find a real, we don't really eat that much meat anyway of any kind. So it's really chicken, fish, and then once in a while some beef. But, you know, when we get beef, it's so hard here. Um, lamb, no problem. But really good beef is, I find, really hard to find here in the UK. So uh, we were thinking about finding a, a butcher. And that's that's an interesting idea, though, because you buy into the animal from the farm before it even gets into the process of, of going to the butcher, etc. Right. And I'm sure you can do that there. I mean, because you can do this everywhere. It's just some places it's harder to do. And some places there's in so much demand that you can't get a good price. Generally speaking, you should be paying half of what you would pay at the store. Hmm. Uh, um, so it's and, and the quality is 100 times better because they're grass fed. You can get them at, you know, different. I mean, this beef that we have that we just got I think the thing was nine months old so it was like you know still t- you know it's real tender the piece, the piece is a little smaller than the usual the steaks are about half the size but still done by the pound so it doesn't make any difference and still but by the, the way we, I'm sorry but we do also get chickens this way mm-hmm. and and also turkeys um, we get uh, heritage birds there's a couple farmers in Washington State that that grow heritage animals that are uh Astonishing! If you have a turkey, a, a heritage bird, one of the older types of turkeys that made turkey popular, you can see why turkey became so popular in the United States because these birds do not taste like turkey. They actually taste like a giant pheasant. <laughs> and For, the, and for those of you who have tasted pheasant before. <laughs> well, most people should have if they haven't. But it, not that, you know, I mean, pheasants are absolutely delicious. It's a little hard to cook but because you have to hit it just right. But unlike a lot of these things like duck you can be pretty liberal I think though but, the, 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 this type of uh, purchasing of, uh, of meat and poultry I think it a, a lot of people might have a problem with it because I believe we've become very conditioned uh, to not putting any type of um, well obviously not human face but putting a, a living being face or, or being confronted with the process of because you just said oh you know this so we've got beef that was nine months old and of course my brain's going oh wow man you know, little little calf grew up nine months old. Gets the electrodes. How are they killed? Are they are they slaughtered in a specific way? I think they're forced to listen to Robert Scoble. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I listened to that interview on Tech Five. I had already berated you for it. And by the way, Davo, is, this is a big. Rich person circle jerk up in, in was it near Geneva? No, it's got a, that can't be in Geneva. I think it's in the northern part. I'm northern not sure part. where. It, that's a good question. We could look it up, but it's in the middle of nowhere, Switzerland. And and it's it, you know, it, it, you never hear any, or I haven't seen any substantial news or any reports, any substantial reports about the. Uh, keynotes or about you know, what basically people were talking about. All you read about in the newspaper uh, was, you know, Princess so-and-so, King so-and-so, Prime Minister. This dude was there. They were caught hobnobbing. And, of course, in San Francisco, in the Silicon Valley trade and basically online, it's all about Michael Arrington, the Google boys, who gets on the Google jet, the Scoble. I mean, what kind of economic forum is this? It, it, to me, I believe... And I do have it's some an inside. Economic forum, that's yeah. For sure. it, it's a it's a conference scam. I heard that. Um, I know a group. I won't say who, but I know a group who uh, was presenting this year, and they and it was a venture capital uh, firm, and they were presenting. Uh, you know, it, I think it's almost like pay to play. It feels like I think they had to pay two hundred grand for like you know four hotel rooms and uh, and a spot on the stage. It's a, it's just it's a conference scam. I don't see what else it is. I never see anything come out of it. 
No, it's a drinking club. Come on. There you go. Drinking club. That's it. That's it. Uh, yeah, it's like, uh, and everybody, you know, if you, they, there's a lot of journalists that go to it too, and they all, you know, scurry over there, and they, they never get anything out of it. It's just like it, I can't imagine that. I know the New York Times sends a couple people, and I can't imagine how they get, get cost effectively. You know, you, you wonder why newspapers are going out of business. Why are they covering this event? It's, well, it's, I think just, they, they probably get an interview or two out of it. I'm sure. You know, I've I've seen exclusive interviews that that'll come out, but it's it's rarely about. Uh, the uh, state of the world uh, economic health. <laughs> it always well, seems you can to be get awesome an interview else. with these people if, without going to Davos. Yeah, well, but it's—I mean, it is handy. It's easy, right? It's—it's it's like CES. If if you're in the technology press, isn't it easier to you know? You went there, you know, it makes sense. So economic writers, they'll go there, and it's basically just for the interviews. But what is the actual conference about? What is this forum? You know, what do, what do they do there? Who decides something? Anything? They have a bunch. They give a bunch of speeches, and people sit in the audience and listen, and then they all, you know, shoot the breeze in the hallways. Um, <laughs> exactly. I don't know. And I mean, they all. And the, I don't like any of these events. I mean, whether it's CES or, uh, you know, this thing. I've never been to Davos, and but I would, you know, I wouldn't want to go. I mean, it's like like uh, I talked to Scoble after that that, and he says it took him twenty seven hours to get there because well, he wasn't on the Google on the Google jet. jet. <laughs> He was a little annoyed he wasn't on the Google Jet. He should have been on the Google Jet. And the thing is, is that uh, Tim O'Reilly was on the Google Jet. Apparently, he went, too. Fuck the Google Jet, man. <laughs> I'd never want to be on the Google Jet. I really would not, unless they bought me. And I'm talking about my company. I'm talking about me. Then I'll go on the Google Jet. Uh, I was, as I was flying back uh, on... Oh, by the way, I bumped into... Uh, Jan and John, who run... Have you ever heard of Magnatune? It's no. a record label. Very successful. It's not actually really... It's kind of like a record label. They've been around for five years, and these guys must be doing something right, because I, I've bumped into them a couple times, and uh, they're always flying uh, upper class. Uh, fuck, I can't remember why I was going to tell you this story. Well, you bumped into them. Yeah. All right, it'll come back to me. Anyway, so in the lounge, I picked up uh, my favorite newspaper, the Financial Times, and right there on page two, so the inside page, rich non-doms preparing to leave UK. And this goes back to the conversation we had about uh, uh, the tax changes here in the UK. Oh, yeah. What's going on again? Unless so, you re, 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 recap us. it, yeah. So they're, cha- um, they're changing the way, uh, particularly capital gains tax is, is handled in the United Kingdom. First of all, I believe that capital gains tax is going up for everyone anyway from 10 to 18%, which is almost you know double and is obviously less attractive uh, to a number of people for a number of reasons. But what they want to do now is they want to uh, tax... Tax size people who live in the UK yet have offshore assets. They want to uh, tax them for all capital gains, which uh, currently is not the case. So as, as long as you don't bring it into the UK or under certain, if, if you remit it under certain circumstances, you don't have to pay the capital gains. Um, and the biggest problem, of course, is for US citizens uh, who are obliged worldwide, regardless where they live or what they do or where they pay taxes, to pay capital gains tax. Effectively, for me, resulting if it if it passes in April, uh, in double taxation. So, if I made a capital gains, then I would uh, effectively be paying something like forty percent uh, in total. Mm-hmm. So, the uh, the opening of the story: more than half of the wealthiest people in Britain are planning to leave or scale back their UK investments in response to the tax crackdown on the non-domiciled foreigners, according to a survey. And uh, Switzerland, interestingly, has emerged as by far the most popular destination for the wealthy individuals leaving Britain. <laughs> Gee, go figure. But uh, how about Gestatt, that? Huh? ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Gestatt. <laughs> yeah, but they're really doing this. And, and the, so the Treasury who collects uh, or who sets these rules up for the inland revenue to collect, you know, the UK version of the IRS, they believe that this will bring in more money uh, into it Sounds the, like the opposite effect is going to happen. Well, yeah, that's what. so that's what... Uh, uh, who's fighting this? Oh, the of course, tax consultants are fighting this, or you know, trying to convince them differently. Uh, they think it's going to get them eight hundred. So the revenue believes it will bring in eight hundred million more on an annual basis, 
and the tax uh, advisors are saying that probably 44 billion will leave the country if this is actually implemented. Well, that's a typical kind of bonehead thing that happens when you get people that just want to tax the crap out of you. The uh, you know this is how the American Revolution began, of course. Was it around taxation? Oh yeah, uh, King George yeah. wanted to uh, taxize everyone, right? If there's a word such as taxize, the, yeah, it's, um, it's a it's a new Adam Curry invented word. Let me let me go uh, put it on Wikipedia that I invented that. Hold on, I'll be right back. So the, the, the irony of it, if people have studied American history, the irony is not so much that they raised the taxes or they're actually, in fact, lowered them, but they decided to enforce the law. Uh, that was the problem, and uh, which baffled George, King George, because he was saying, well, you know, I'm giving these guys a break. And now they're all up in arms about it. It doesn't make any sense. These Americans are crazy. But what ha- happened was they actually uh, decided to collect the taxes as opposed to previously they weren't, you know, the taxes were just a bunch of scoff laws. Nobody was paying the tax. And um, once they started collecting it, then everyone got up in arms. And I think that's what we're looking at here. I mean, I, I, you know, the public can only put up with so much taxation and if they're not getting anything for their money. Did you um, uh, read the follow-up on Wesley Snipes? Uh, if you recall, he was a, um, they were looking for him uh, a couple months back, uh, back for like you know, $7 million in back uh, taxes they were trying to, to nail him for. And I read the, there was, I guess there was a hearing. And, yeah. well, and it turns out that he, uh, Wesley Snipes, is one of these uh, non-tax people who, of course, I'm one of them as well, except uh, I pay the taxes. You know, there's, there's a, a large, I would say a substantial group of people, including Ron Paul, uh, who believe that the IRS, uh, uh, that the tax they levy is illegal and unconstitutional. And Wesley Snipes had essentially filed, <laughs> filed and said, or not filed for several years and said, I don't have to pay this. It's unconstitutional. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, uh, he might, uh, uh, now he was I, able... I understand... I'm sorry. I understand. I was just reading this yesterday. I understand that he he the, the thing finally went to, to some trial. He got found that he he you know he's he's not liable. For yeah, because he got uh, bad advice from his. Uh, he got bad his tax advice, lawyer. and but he has to pay twenty one million dollars in fees and the rest of it. I don't. I didn't see the twenty one million. I thought uh, I saw something like three mil, uh, maybe three million. It, or, maybe it was seventeen. I thought it was a higher number than three. I thought it was like in the millions, in the in the two digit millions. Yeah. Well, he. he I think he made a lot of money. He might have spent a lot too, but. Uh, he, I don't think he's got. My understanding is he hasn't got this money to. I to don't. Give th- the I don't think so a lot of people have uh, twenty one million dollars cash laying around to pay out the IRS. I think you'd well, be there's surprised. been a bu- bunch of these celebrities who got in a hole like that, and they essentially. I forgot one of them. There's a story about one of them on the television recently. Will Smith. They, Will Smith. The first oh yeah, Prince. Will Smith. Exactly. Yep. And he sp- apparently he went and did a whole bunch of work. You know, <laughs> did a bunch of movies and everything else, and essentially every penny except some, you know, the portion for for his expenses went to the IRS until he paid them off. It took him like five years or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I I, um, I saw the report and I remember the numbers exactly. He made. Uh, um, I think he made five million dollars on the parents just don't understand. That was his. That was his big hit before uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And he said he just blew it all. He said he just spent it on everything, anything he wanted. And then the IRS showed up. And, of course, they didn't have any uh, any money left, barely. And uh, you're right. It was uh, 70 cents of every dollar he made after that for five years went to the IRS until he had paid off his, uh, his um, debt. So, anyway, so Wesley Snipes... Uh, didn't pay because he felt he didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love this, the idea that, uh, you know, there's, and you see this, it crops up every year. Uh, you know, a bunch of people saying, you know, there's no, show me the law that says I have to pay my taxes right. in one of the There is none, John. There is no right. law. Yeah. And the other one is, you know, I don't, it's not constitutional. There's a whole bunch of these things. And it's like, okay, uh, this is like, guys, uh, somebody explained to me once how, you know, the RICO Act came into play and it was never really fully tested because there's some constitutionalists think that that RICO law, which was used to crack down on organized crime and then was extended to all kinds of other things, uh, was really not really constitutional, but there's so much case law behind it, backing it up, that now it's too late to do anything to stop it. And... uh, that's essentially the situation. Yeah, maybe there is no law you can point your finger at, but there's a it, there's an organization that collects the money. They can take your money out. They can take all the money out of all your bank accounts. What difference does it make if there's a law or not? If they have these powers, yeah, you can yeah. protest it. So what? What's the point? I always thought it was crazy 
to like, you know, these kinds of protests. I mean, you, there's other better things to do with your time than complain about the fact that the IRS doesn't, there's no law for the IRS. Well, you know, it, um, I, I'm kind of on the fence about this. First of all, I, you know, I agree with you that the jurisprudence is there and, you know, it's senseless to not pay and then think they're not going to catch up with you. And uh, they do have a tremendous amount of power. I think the IRS is more powerful than most departments in the United States. Um, you know, what, what really irks me about most inland revenue, whether it's the IRS or uh, well, I haven't had any problems here in the UK, I'm sure it will come, is exactly that. You know, there's always picking at you and trying to get stuff. And, oh, man, it's just annoying. You know, like it's not enough that you take something out, that you take money away from me before I've ever even seen it. So it never hits my bank account and you take it away. But then the continuing argument, it's, uh, I think they're one of the most feared departments in the government. Well, I'm actually, a, a, I like the idea of a, uh, of a consumption tax personally. I love it. I, I think that the IRS uh, is just, uh, it's not even the IRS's fault necessarily. I think it's just the system. I mean, I remember some years ago, I think it was, during the it was maybe the pre maybe during Reagan's administration or even before that there was this you know this tax simplification they were going to go through they're going to simplify the tax laws it was a big deal and there's a whole bunch of editorial cartoons about it and they just made it more complicated I happen to be uh, somebody who uh, took the the courses uh, necessary to get uh, certified this oh is, of course you did of, co- <laughs> of course ago. of course you're an expert in accounting <laughs> I took the courses to do the IRS stuff. There's like, there's a, I really? forgot how many. Really? To become an stuff. IRS agent, John? No, no, to, to be able to do taxes. Oh, so like CPA, uh, like a certified public accountant. Well, no, that's way beyond what this is. This is just a, it's a sort of It's like a notary public, only then about it's numbers. something like that. Whatever yeah. the case is, you have to take these, you know, you got to go to a bunch of courses and sh- so you can do taxes. <laughs> and I forgot, this was something I was going to do or I needed to do or I wanted to do. I don't know what the deal was, to be honest about it, because it was so long ago. But I, I know now that I can't do taxes. I mean, I could do them at one time, I can't do them now. It's just like ridiculous. I mean, you have to have an expert figuring out where this goes and what this is for, and if this is deductible, if that's the. It's unbelievable. It was one it of those. Be, um, it was one of those pro Ron Paul YouTube movies. Uh, I can't remember what it was. I'll have to look for it. Where the person said, "Look, this is the United States Constitution." Held up this little thin booklet, and then held up this big, like yellow pages phone book, and this is the U.S. Tax Code for 2007. <laughs> you know, it outstrips it by a thousand times, maybe even more. Yeah, no, and that's the problem. And this is too complicated. There's, you know, there's too many institutions that are needed just to get the taxes done. Uh, I mean, there's overhead there. Uh, it just would be much simpler if it was a consumption tax, where you just whatever you spent. It would also encourage savings, which they always say you want. They want you to do, even though they really don't. They want you to spend money. So I don't know. I'm, I'm against it. Well, is that on the, uh, John McCain's roster? There is that something he's planning on doing? Because uh, I doubt it. If not. <laughs> I think McCain's just going to be a company man when he gets in. He's, uh, I, I, I have to agree with you. Patricia does not like him. She's like, this guy, nah, no way. She thinks his wife's pretty hot. I have to admit. His wife is pretty hot. Yeah. It's amazing. She's, she's kind of milfy. Um, and now everyone's popping up on the internet talking about McCain and, you know, posting videos of him uh, saying, you know, I hope we stay in Iraq for a hundred years. You know, it's really, it's just going to be bush light if he gets in. Well, you don't know. I mean, he might be the type of guy. The thing is, he's he might be the type of guy that says one thing. I, in fact, I get the feeling he is this type of guy. He says all these things, and he walks in the office the first, within three days, he pulls the troops out of Iraq. I mean, hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if he did something like that. Hmm. So, you know, I got all the reports here. This is bogus. We're out. Hmm. Or moves them all to Afghanistan or or nukes Afghanistan. I mean, there's a, who knows? I mean, the, the guy's a uh, loose cannon. You know what would be a great ticket? Here's a ticket I would love. John McCain, president. Dr. Ron Paul, vice president. <laughs> that would be, now that would kick ass, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would go for I'd vote for that. Well, do you think the, the party would never do that, would they? Of course not. Yeah, crap. There's no way. They see Ron Paul as a complete crackpot. And he, and you know, he's only one of four guys left, and, <laughs> and he doesn't show up anywhere in any of the no, press, in any of the no, no, lists, the, the press rundowns, lineups. The, it's completely ignored. The press 
you know, and not only that, he's probably the best story because he has the most interesting things to say. He does. I mean, outside of Huckabee's uh, tax, uh, a consumption tax idea. Uh, I, but it, he, it's, it's, it's almost as if you know, his stuff is so crazy, so kooky, so off the wall. But well, if you just listen to the guy and, and let it process in your brain for three seconds, then it kind of hits you how beautifully simplistic it all is. Yeah, that's why he's never. Gonna that's why he's it. never going to be president. Uh, okay. Well, I so don't know, anyway. man. I still have. My, I'm sorry. You know, I, I still have my hopes for uh, for this Tuesday, Super Tuesday. You know, we could still see an incredible grassroots movement, groundswell that could make it happen. You know, it's not like I've given up hope. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, it's going to be Hillary and. Uh, you know, Obama's making a last-ditch effort to try to get get some traction, and it's going to be interesting to see how he does. But I, I just don't see it. Well, it's going to be Hillary versus McCain. That's the, the final deal. Hillary McCain, but you're still holding by your uh, Obama would be VP on her ticket. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that uh, unless unless there's. Uh, I mean, it's possible the Clintons will just pull a rabbit out of a hat and drag some who knows some unknown into the uh, position. Yeah, someone who's but, been hovering in the wings that you kind of know. And it, you know, in, and even if uh, Obama doesn't get the vice presidency um, or the nod for the vice presidency slot, I still think he's going to be the most viable candidate in 2012. And uh, when he has a little bit of experience under his belt, and uh, he'll have more experience, more more friends on K Street, you know, all the important stuff, right? And he would not, he would not have been a loser, which means you know, because if Hillary runs and loses, she's not going to. Back in the 1800s, they used to run these guys over and over again. I think William Jennings Bryant was like, I think they ran him maybe up to three times, but and he'd just lose every time. Uh, that, That. it's so it apparently beats these guys up so much that they uh, very few of them will run a second time. Uh, I mean, Adlai Stevenson, I guess, was the last Democrat that tried it. You know, he ran against Eisenhower, and then he ran against Eisenhower and lost both times. Mm. And uh, I, I think that those days are over. So I can't see Hillary running again if she loses. Right. Let me just see how much money Ron Paul has brought in. Yeah, I think he brings in a fair amount, enough money at least to pay the bills. Yeah, well, he's got uh, $5.1 million this quarter so far. So in, uh, what is that? Three uh, In four weeks, so one month, $5 million bucks, not he, bad. What's he doing with all that money? I don't see any ads. Uh, the money that they wanted to raise was specifically to run five, uh, I think, national ads um, this weekend and, you know, a... a I guess up and during Super Tuesday. So that's what the money was huh. for. There was a, um, I saw some other chart, which seemed kind of out of whack to me because you know it was showing how much the candidates had raised and how much they spent and how much cash they had on hand. And had Ron Paul listed as having a lot of cash on hand. And I don't think that's true. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that they're spending it. Because I talked to the finance direct, director uh, on a, kind of like a regular basis, you know, once every couple of weeks or whatever. And... Um, and they they really need more money, you know. They they've had to hold back on some advertising, but I guess it's all it's very local still. There's nothing national, so maybe uh, maybe you flip on the TV this weekend or uh, or tomorrow. Well, there's a big football game on today. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, and oh, that's right. And there was talk at one point of doing a Ron Paul commercial during Super Bowl Sunday, but I don't think they allow that. I don't think they allow. Uh, oh, that could be political could advertising. Be. I, I, yeah, not you, man. I've never seen a political ad on the Super Bowl. I mean, because they Super Bowl uh, for the international audience out there. I, I think a lot of people watch it overseas too. But they're notorious for doing expensive, high end, sometimes humorous commercials during the Super Bowl. Usually, they bang them all a lot. And this year is going to be a uh, probably an interesting test for. Uh, what they're charging because I they're charging I'm, more than last year right yeah they're charging a lot and it's like I don't know but to be honest about it the number's probably on the net somewhere but I think that the game is going to not I, unless I'm wrong I can't see this game being very interesting after the first quarter and uh, that's going to put a bunch of these advertisers in a bind and I think what they're going to do probably for the first uh few minutes of the game they'll probably be taking tv timeouts every after every play to jam all these commercials at, at people so they can you know assure that they get the audience that they're guaranteeing um 
because this game could go out of control and just be a dud by the half and that the whole bunch of people are going to not get their money's worth out of advertising in the second half. Hmm. Unless, unless I'm wrong, I mean, maybe it's a you know they could rig it somehow so the game would be interesting. But it's, <laughs> they, they, well, it's possible. Well, the game is uh, designed for television, John. It's designed for commercials. Football and basketball are totally media sports, which is my theory why soccer really never has caught on, or football as we call it over here, is because there's no place to insert the ads. There's no breaks. That's why yeah, it doesn't, the, doesn't get the, the television The thing that's exposure. interesting about basketball, though, not to mention it, is that the most exciting part of a basketball game, curiously, unlike a football game generally, uh, is the last two minutes where yeah. the teams usually are pretty closely, Close. you know, they're pretty, yeah. and they have to keep taking timeouts because every time, you know, they follow they do one thing or another. So there's lots of opportunities for commercials during the most exciting time of the game which has got to get people all pumped up you know when they're watching the commercials their adrenaline's you know going and so this is like kind of remarkable but generally speaking in terms of interesting overall basketball on television to me is you know it's it's kind of it's like it's a little boring uh, yeah, I don't. I don't watch sports at all. Yeah, you're not a sports guy. I mean, I, I'd watch the Super Bowl if it was on at a normal time. By the way, it's only three million people outside the U.S. Uh, on an, uh, pretty much an average basis that watch the Super Bowl. And one ad this year, uh, of course, it, it can't be true, but because you know, it doesn't ex- doesn't say if it's an early ad, a late ad, if it's a halftime ad. But I guess the average price two point seven million dollars. Mm. Or uh, that would yeah, be. Yeah, there goes the Ron Paul budget. <laughs> would, no, but th- there was a lot of talk about doing it, but uh, I just don't think they'll accept them. They will accept, of course. You know, GoDaddy chicks walking around with their hooters out. I mean, that's important. Yeah, well, that's a that's well, that's a football audience. I and mean, by the way, the use my checkout code DSC one DSC two or DSC three for a great deal on a domain name at GoDaddy. Don't you have a GoDaddy code, John? Uh, I use the general one, the the company one. Oh, what's that? PS one. Yeah, something like that. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't have a specific one. Um, mainly because I uh, it would just show that I get, nobody listens to anything I do or say. <laughs> no, people are definitely listening. Oh, dude, Sarkozy, he did it. He married her. Go he, over this again? Uh, so, 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 I say Sarkozy, but Sarkozy, the French... Uh, oh, the president? French guy with the, with the hot... Uh, yeah, he married her. He married Carla. Oh well, good for him. I like the French guys. You know, he's he's a dog, man. He's he. This is this guy's got it together. And they had a uh, the beautiful picture they released of the two of them. Uh, I saw it in a couple different newspapers. Oh man, I got it. Her eyes are set a little far apart, but she's hot. You just look like at that mouth. Ice, look at that mouth of the, hers. That's an Icelandic look. Oh, she's um, she uh, she has an album coming out or a CD. A new one, coincidentally, coming out in a couple of weeks. And Patricia uh, heard her sing. She says she, she liked the way she sings. She doesn't think she's all that bad. You know, she's kind of rubbing out the ex-supermodel moniker. But I figured mm-hmm. out, you know, because I'm trying to think, you know, how does she meet up with all these guys? Because she dated Mick Jagger, um, Eric Clapton, and, of course, the oddball Donald Trump, which that just tells you something about her personality. Maybe she goes to Davos. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you. I'll bet you she's been to Davos. Dude, we got to go to Davos. Hot chicks are there. Um, yeah, I think there must be. I mean, unless the thing is, you know, uh, kind of, it could be a gay cabal for all we know. <laughs> That's what you should have been asking Scoble about instead of about his streaming videos. The streaming video <sighs> thing, is it was fascinating to me that he'd actually gotten away with doing that. With people out there who should listen to Tech 5's uh, last Thursday. That was really fascinating and, to you? I mean, these guys were everywhere with these little streaming things from their phones. I mean, everyone's doing that, it seems. Well, I was, un, I was unaware of this trend. I mean, I know people were using the phones for different recording, but I didn't ever know it was streaming directly. Oh, yeah. No, there's lots. There's tons of little companies that are doing this, and some of them maybe even not so little. I mean, I, I don't see it scaling, and I'm not quite sure I see um, a business model, but it is fascinating. I mean, I've done it. I've, I've downloaded it. Was it QIK, I think, Quick? Is uh, quick.com, like like and that. you can load some software onto your Nokia phone, and you just fire it up, and then it's broadcasting, you know. And, and the quality is, well, like, you know, okay. It's YouTube ish quality. 
And of course, the sound being shitty is the biggest problem. But, you know, there, there's a lot of people doing this. And for one-off uh, events or, you know, it's really a, it ties in well with the blogger thing. You know, because, you know, hey, I'm going to go to the Steve Jobs keynote. Uh, you know, hey, here I am. Now check out my stream. You know, I think it's a, it's a part of a, a tool chest of stuff. So I saw somebody doing something like that at the uh, Seattle SeaTac Airport because some woman was screaming at the top of her lungs and at the TSA, and oh, no. then <laughs> and then uh, she and then the guy was yelling. I heard the guy because I was right there. I was walking past. I was just e- exiting the um, minding your own shoes. business, of course. And I heard the guy saying. Are you threatening me? Oh, God. And, and which was, I didn't hear that, but then, then he yells at the top of his lungs, I need a supervisor. And so supervisor oh. comes over here and she gets really adamant. She starts cussing the guy out. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, oh, brother. Meanwhile, somebody's taping the whole thing from Excellent. a little distance away. Excellent. Did you see the TSA blog that came out this past week? You, someone must no. have sent you. No, you're kidding me. No, nobody sends me anything, as you know. Dude, this is the one link that I actually did get a million times. Uh, <laughs> TSA.gov slash blog. Oh, it's hilarious. And they, and they, they kind of messed it up first. They, oh, it's their own, they're actually doing it themselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it, you know, they have their own blog. And people are just commenting all kinds of stories. You know, and, and, oh, that's great. Yeah, no, it's, it's entertainment. It is absolutely entertainment. So what happened on your last entry? Because you came in, I believe, since we did the show last. That's right. right. Yeah, I came back in and um, uh, the exact same sequence of events. Um, the, the, and, San, it, and you came into San Francisco again. Yeah, San Francisco. And by the way, a lot of people confuse TSA with, uh, with the CBP. And people still believe that the, it's the TSA that's hassling me, which is not true. It's the Customs and Border Protection Agency. Significant. Oh, by di- the way, now that you mention that, I'll bet you that the Customs Borders Protection guys are irked to no end at being associated with the TSA, you know, baggage. Oh, you know what? You are totally right. And the what is? Do you know what the one big difference is between TSA and CBP? I mean, even if you just look at their uniforms, do you do you know what the one big difference is? Yeah, one of them's got a gun. Thank you. Exactly. So who's the fucking powerhouse? So the CBP, they've all got guns. And even the guy behind the counter has a gun, you know, when you first come in. And so the guy, it was the same story, John. Hey, don't I know you? And usually my joke that I've used for the past 20 years, when someone says, don't I know you, I'll say, um, did were we in jail together? You know, that's always kind of like a funny... <laughs> and it was on yeah, the tip that, of my tongue, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to say that. I said, uh, MTV, ever watch that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he did his Stripe thingy. And then he went into the computer. And he and the faces they make when they look at my record. And I've asked, you know, each time, what's they won't tell you what's in there. And you can't see it because they've got the, the anti you know, look over the shoulder screen filter on the monitor. Right. But you can see him kind of looking, typing, and then go, hmm... Uh, I don't know what that is. And then, you know, and then he does an M on the, uh, on the customs form. And again, what does M stand for? And he, he doesn't tell me. I said, well, is it for money? And, uh, oh, and by the way, uh, then he, pu- he puts a stamp on it. Uh, so that's what, that'll make my counterfeit effort a little tougher to do. And then I uh, got my bag, uh, went through, and I did my usual smiley thing. And uh, I said, well, here it is. And, and then I follow that up by saying, uh, I guess you want to put this one in the clear blue envelope. Yeah, that's right. And then he sends me over to a special counter, and it was the same guy from last time. And he's like, Adam, ah. what? You, you were here just uh, last week. Didn't you come through here? I said, yep. I said, oh, man, are you still in the computer? I said, yep. Ah, oh, yeah, this is so stupid. And they let me go. Have a nice he day. You never looked in the bags no, for he- the money? <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> I have that in my shoe. <laughs> so it must stand for money. They must be thinking that you're running money back and forth or something. I don't know. Yeah, but it's like a standard question. Uh, the times that I have been interrogated in second screening, they do ask if you have more than ten thousand dollars, and they did go through every, you know, all my stuff looking for for something. But yeah, it was clear they didn't didn't know what they're looking for. So anyway, I just want to say that you know the TSA is a minor inconvenience. Okay. It really is. Being on a list with the Customs Border Protection Agency, that's frightening. 
Okay, these guys have a real fucking database, and it's really tied into all kinds of shit. And clearly, it's wrong. And they've got guns. Now, they may be all nice <laughs> to me, you know, because, you know, they all watch, you know, watch me intro poison videos. But it's, it's clearly, it's fucked up. You know, the, the, that's, a, that's a very scary thing that's going on there. That's, to me, is well, way so different gonna, from TSA. But, but I, I would assume now that you're going to fly into San Francisco more than you are just random airports. Well, uh, unfortunately, you know, I do have to go to New York once in a while, so that means I'm going to I'm going to get the uh the much longer treatment. I would presume at uh at Newark Airport. I haven't been through JFK yet since this changed. Um and I, you know, I don't know. I, I the only thing you can do is send in a Freedom of Information Act request which uh they've already said they do not honor. So, you know, out, out of national security. But I guess there's just well, nothing. National to be security done. is involved with you. <laughs> this is one of the questions you'll read on the TSA blog. It's really, it's really cool. Why do you have to, you know, hand search and frisk three-year-old children? <laughs> and the answer is, there's a guy that actually answered the question. They got a video answer to that. Even the guy says, "Well, you know, terrorists are using elderly and children to carry bombs and to detonate." I'm like, fuck you. That's nuts. <laughs> Old ladies. You know, and, and, and if, you're, they, if you're really protecting me, then do the same thing at the bus station, the train station, and the subway. Not just on planes. It's not true. Liars. Well, it's ridiculous to be frisky. I mean, I remember one time there was a... Uh, um, when it, when this all began, uh, they were just basically pulling over. They had this random thing. They had a random number generator, and you'd get picked every once in a while. Yeah. And... Um, which and is kind were, of fair, see, by the way. You'd see people in wheelchairs, you know, and old men, you know, in Asheville, North Carolina. And I mean, there's just some and cheerleaders. I remember seeing some cheerleader ones getting frisked. And of course, that may have been a volunteer thing. And uh, <laughs> excuse me, ma'am, I'm with the TSA. I have to frisk you. <laughs> and uh, I remember one time, though, I was coming from. Uh, from New Orleans and I got I was one of the guys and I had my suitcase <laughs> my, when I go to New Orleans I usually go get um, there's a couple of stores I go to and I load up the suitcase with um, local food mostly sausages and uh, other things that you can't get anyplace else You're like all oh, you can't bring this stuff anymore but I used to get like the big jars of Zatarain's uh, mustard which, which is an outstanding product uh, people don't realize it's exactly it tastes exactly like a french mustard anyway um and so, and so the guys opened the suitcase up and the, the guy with some with apparently a sense of humor goes oh we got a bonanza and he, he <laughs> calls bonanza. all the other guys over and he says come on over here check this out we caught one and he goes <sighs> uh, and they all look and they see this pot you know, this whole suitcase with nothing in it but sausages and and dewy and whatever and they all got a big laugh out of it and closed the thing up and said, uh, I told them I always, you know, when I'm in New Orleans I, or New Orleans, I, I yeah, you, you get your you load up on your meat products. Absolutely. It's important stuff. <laughs> I got to bring some stuff back. So, uh, they, they <laughs> and that was, was OK. Funny. Were you allowed to travel with it? Oh, yeah. You can travel with meat. Not internationally, so, not to, internationally, of course, but. No, internationally, they, they're, they're a little touchy about it. But I, I wonder speaking, if I took if I took a big, long salami. And put it in my bag. I wonder if they let me on with that. I bet you they've got They'll some, some reason. I don't know about that. They'll yeah, confiscate I mean, the salami. I've had a salami confiscated at, at JFK once. I've hidden a salami uh, once or twice. Well, that's another story. <laughs> uh, so there's a, there's a type of salami out of France called a Beaujolais salami. It's absolutely fantastic product. And it, it kind of, it's got the Beaujolais, the Beaujolais nice. salami? Yeah, the Beaujolais salami is quite good. Mm. And so I have one of, I brought a couple of them in and I declared the salami. I had two of them and I declared and he said, oh, we got to confiscate it. I know they're confiscating it for lunch. It was like 11.45. And, he, and I said, why? He says, well, there's no, there's bad meat in Europe is what he says. <laughs> really? Mad cow disease in your salami. <laughs> there's bad meat in Europe. Bad so, meat. <laughs> so he scrounged around and grabbed the one salami. He didn't get the second one. So I had one at least for later. I was pissed off about it. I mean, hey, we, had a, we had a great dinner uh, the other night, which uh, we should just touch on briefly because it was a, quite, I found it to be, uh, uh, well, having dinner with you is a culinary event regardless. 
and it was at uh, Shea, what was the name of it? Shea Spencer in San Francisco, Shea one of my Spencer. favorite little places. Yeah, fantastic restaurant. If you, if you live in San Francisco, I would highly re- recommend going there just for the ambiance alone. You know, it's, it's kind of like in the slums. And even the front door looks like you're entering a, a slummy warehouse, and then you go through the door, and phew, it's like paradise. It's so beautiful. It reminds me a little bit of the places that used to be in Russia in the Soviet Union. Uh, right, kind of cavernous before, on the inside. There would there would be these. I remember that I went there once, and there was this. We were taken to what was supposedly the best restaurant in Moscow, and it was like uh, you go. It was in a crappy neighborhood, and it was something looked like an old beat up old house. I think I've been to and, that restaurant. In my, is, did they have a, a singer in the in the restaurant as well? You know, I don't remember there being a singer, but I could see where that could be. It, could kind of, but it was kind of like a like a cavernous vibe in a way. Yeah, and you go in, and all of a sudden you're like you transforms from this what looked like it was going to be a, a, a hellhole into this really nice place. And uh, Shea Spencer has elements of that where you look at the outside and you go, this place can't be any good. And then you go inside, and the inside of this of this restaurant is That's nice. But I think what you wanted to talk about is the fact that we ate venison. Yes, we did. Uh, they always have game there, which is a good thing. And, and, and for people uh, who don't uh, in other countries, that would mean uh, deer meat. Right, deer meat. And um, you were relating the fact that you had just come back from Helsinki where you were pigging out on reindeer. reindeer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't Which know. Is, I, by I, the way, for people out there that travel, if you go to the Scandinavian countries or the Nordic countries, uh, and there is a difference, they, uh, they eat reindeer and they eat lots of it. In, in Finland, I, I, from what I can tell, they don't eat anything but reindeer. They have reindeer salamis. They've got reindeer pizza. they got reindeer steaks. And the reindeer is quite tasty. It's one of their, it's really yeah. a delicious meat. And, and it, it the curious thing, and we were talking about this over dinner, was that uh, reindeer is is almost a, a 100% perfect match for a California Cabernet Sauvignon of the of, of, of a private reserve style like the Behringer, for example. You know, where it's over-oaked and it's a, just a monster. Which we did and not have. What did we no, have? We, did not, we had a, a Bordeaux. Um, <laughs> a, just a plain Jane Bordeaux. Bordeaux, but anyway. But we, we, we took rain- enough time selecting it. We had to bring out all these bottles, and we had we tasted every single one. And then, what do we get? Like a twenty dollar bottle of wine, John? What do we wind up ordering? No, actually, I think it was seventy. It was it was a uh, the second wine of Chateau Leo Villascas. Uh, um, it went well. It went very well with the venison. It re- the, it was a good taste for sure. Yeah, uh, it wasn't cheap though. I mean, it wasn't expensive by any means, but it wasn't. You know, there was cheaper wines on there. But they didn't. You know, she had all these wines. Which is a cool thing about Shea Spencer, they have a lot of wines by the glass, and the wine list is pretty much the same wines. And so they'll give you little samples of the ones that you're wondering about. And uh, I was not impressed with these um, the other wines, and so we kind of moved over to uh, the Bordeaux, which is always reliable. Anyway, so the reindeer. Uh, so I'm in I'm in Sweden, and there, and I found out that and I didn't realize this, but the Swedes were unlike the Finns, uh, are a little more, uh, uh, I guess, uh, careful about what they tell people they eat because they seem to. I guess Americans have gone over there, and they're just disgusted. With the fact that people are, are munching on reindeer. <laughs> they're Rudy. Oh, they're munching on Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. I think we had and, Donner and Blitzen. I'm not quite sure, but it wasn't Rudolph. And uh, so they're aghast. And so they, the Swedes never mentioned that. You know, they don't want to talk about it. And, my, and what I talked about before, which is another one of these countries up there, Iceland, where I think their main staple, they also eat a lot of lamb, but their main, they, one of their main staples is puffin. Oh, puffin, is right. The, it's a cute bird. Cute little bird. And you, oh, like I told my daughter, that, you know, you, when you're in Iceland, you eat puffin, you eat roast puffin, you eat puffin burgers. Uh, you just eat a lot of puffin because they're like pigeons over there. There's like millions of them. But it's like you mention this to somebody and they're like oh puffins are so pretty how can you eat one well this this brings and, me well, back to my original point about packaged foods and that we've completely removed the consumption from the entire process which really is one of the most natural processes in the in the natural world of hunting or raising um you know killing consuming uh you know breeding continuing through that cycle of life and 
And the minute, you know, you, you put a, a cute little birdie face on, it's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And just give me a fucking Big Mac, okay? I don't want to eat no puffin, which, of course, is <laughs> ludicrous. You know, we're killing ourselves with crap food instead of eating really healthy, fresh stuff. And, it's, you know, it's, it's, we're carnivores. It's what we do. You know, get over it. Uh, the puffin, by the way, is quite tasty. Uh, it's like uh, all dark meat. It's really a, it's a it's a it's really a flavorful bird, I have to say. And reindeer is delicious. Oh, it, it is. Uh, it's kind of it's a little sweet. Yet it's hard to describe. Uh, you had yours uh, raw. I had my medium raw. I, I just can't take it too raw. I can't take anything too raw. But man, well, you, well, you're talking about the venison. Um, oh, I'm sorry, actually, venison. Yeah. But the reindeer, actually, when I had a reindeer, I had a rare, too. I mean, I didn't see any, you know, I mean, there, I would, eating a lot of weird stuff. I mean, I was in South Africa once, and I went to the Blue Train restaurant, which is known for uh, having everything. And so you get the sample, elephant, zebra. I just discussed, like, my daughter. Oh, I eat an elephant. Elephant, how is zebra. It? What does ele- is, how is elephant? Antelope, elephant's not that good. Uh, and the zebra, with the I bet the zebra's si- good. Zebra's a little. It's like horse. It's very yeah. similar. Uh, horse meat. You know, it's a little tough. Uh, horse is uh, talking about. By the way, cultures that are embarrassed about what they eat. The Slovenians. Now I sound like I'm, I'm name dropping. I'm getting I'm, for the people out there. I, 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 this is one of those conversations where I get carried away with my anecdotes. But no, I like it. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in food. So carry on. It's not but about who's in, listening. It's about me. It, good. It's, <laughs> anyway, in Slovenia, there are huge horse eaters, and uh, but they don't want to tell anybody <laughs> outside right, the country. Right, yeah, people don't but get I finally it. talked to these guys. I was over there. I talked to these guys into because I've had horse before. I had it in Mexico, uh-huh. and. Um, so I, I told these guys, no, I want to, you know, I want to see what you guys do with a horse. And so um, they said, okay, they, they reluctantly, they said, we'll take you to the best horse restaurant in, in, in Ljubljana. And so, okay, I, I go with these guys and the, and the, and there's, these guys were like so reluctant. I never seen such chow hounds in my life when the horse, <laughs> the horse steak comes out. These guys are plowing through it like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. And, but anyway, so I, we all ordered the same thing, the best horse steak they had or whatever. And it was like, so it comes out and I'm not really expecting to see a steak, you know, that's the size of this thing. I mean, this thing's the size of a Xerox machine <laughs> on this plate. It's not even, I can't even stay on the plate. It's hanging over <laughs> the sides. And I'm going, oh, my God, I can't eat this whole thing, but I'm going to try. And I never realized, I mean, I, I, I had a horse taco once, and so I thought I was an expert. And I didn't really realize what horse, when it's served like this, is actually like. And it's, and it's the texture is a little, it's a little, it's a little like liver in a really funny kind of a way. And I like liver, but it's, I don't like a big piece of liver this big. And it was... It was. I had a hard time eating more than half of it. I, these guys, meanwhile, are shot. You know, you're gonna eat that, and boom, fly <laughs> one through it. Yeah. And uh, you know, although they were reluctant to go there, uh, it was. Uh, it, but anyway, that's another culture that is not. You know, they're not proud of this because of Americans who are judgmental. Yeah, I guess. they should I mean, get freaked out. About I'm it. just the opposite. Well, I'm looking for one of I'm my one of my anecdotes. I think I told you this one. I went to, uh, I did a documentary in Thailand where I ate a number of interesting things, but the one that came close to a weird cultural uh, difference in, uh, in, in eating was uh, the Hill Tribe. Of course, you'd expect it to be different up there. That was right near the Burmese border and what they call, is that, they still call it the Golden Triangle, I guess? Uh, maybe. And, Probably. Uh, and so we, uh, we awoke at like six in the morning and um, we then subsequently helped to go kill a pig so the pig was dead uh, and gutted by 7 a.m and by eight o'clock we were eating it for breakfast and it was it, it was ground up but with a lot of the bones in it so and, you know so we're like you know crowns popping off and shit and uh <laughs> these people who live up there you know they're uh, they're just you know they're used to this and they're just crunching through everything but I, that that was a very weird sensation at the time you know because i just saw this animal you know you heard him squealing when he got slaughtered and you know then before you know it, you're eating him and and it it was <laughs> yeah it was, it was kind of weird but it was a really natural cycle of life and there was beauty to that as well 
But that was that was, that was probably the only time I've yeah. That's the only time I've kind of been freaked out. I don't think I've been freaked out by eating anything. Have you ever done the monkey brains? No, and I don't like the idea of eating brains. There's too many prions in there, and it's like it just doesn't. I mean, I've had, I've only had brains once, and it was by accident. I was in um, Texas, and I was at a taco stand there, and yeah. it was uh, I didn't know that sesos was brains. Exactly, they have a weird name for it. What is it, sesos? Sesos. Sesos. It's like sweet bread. Stay away from the sweet bread. Well, I, I've had sweet breads. In fact, I've developed a recipe for sweet breads because I've always believed. I always believed everything has a. Uh, if people are eating something, there's a reason for it. It must be good in some way, shape, or form if it's done right. And I've had this this. Que- I had a quest for years, for example, to find a tripe that was edible. Mm-hmm. And I would go from place to place, you know, uh, trying tripe soup from the Italian restaurants or this and that and the other thing. There was always terrible. I hated it. and But I kept was convinced that there must be somebody that can make this decent. And so there's a one-star restaurant in Paris that had uh, andouillettes, which is essentially a tripe stuffed with tripe. Mm. And it's uh, like a hot dog. And it tastes like a hot dog. In fact, it was better with mustard even though it was kind of a now what is tripe exactly it's the intestines of of a cow okay generally and the french i don't know what they do but it's when you eat this the andouillettes it's like wow this is not only delicious but it has a slight resemblance to the flavor of a hot dog Hmm. american hot dog and i realized that american hot dogs must be just filled with this stuff (laughs) yeah yeah i'm sure synthetically created tripe So, um, anyway, the, uh, but I, but so I've always had this, this, you know, I, so with sweetbreads, I develop, I always felt the same way and sweetbreads actually are quite good if they're done correctly. Yeah, but the it brains, just freaks I just me don't out like eating, eating sweetbreads. Well, the brains and actually sweetbreads to a lesser extent, the problem with these organ meats is that there's the cholesterol. It's sky high. Yeah. It's through the ceiling. Yeah. I mean, it takes you months to recover from eating this stuff. <laughs> you measure your cholesterol regularly, I'm sure, John. You take cholesterol and uh, you take like Lipitor or something? No, no, I, I no, I, 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 those things don't. I mean, it lowers your cholesterol number, but it doesn't really do anything about plaque or anything else. It's just, uh, right. it's just, a, it just makes you feel better. Yeah, but I mean, it makes Patricia you, has because to you take see it. the number. Oh, I got my numbers. My cholesterol's two. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, I must, you know, be healthier. Did you know, uh, just switching gears, you know, ever since we had a conversation uh, a couple weeks back about The uh, Economist, of course, I've started reading The Economist and I pick it up every single time I travel or it's, uh, it's around. It's a great plane. Uh, airplane oh, it's view. fantastic for reading on the plane. Did you know that there are still a couple thousand uh, people left, uh, primarily in the financial world, who use a telex? Wow. Isn't that amazing? They use it for settlement. That is amazing. Yeah, Euro, wow. Euroclear, the world's largest settlement system for international financial markets, maintains 184 telex accounts for 50 out of its 1,375 clients and sends up to 800, 800 telexes a day. Huh. That's amazing. It must be some. It must be particularly secure or part of a system that's you know. Yeah, well, it's a, I know that it's its own closed loop system, right? It's its own. I network, guess. I, I, think. I know there was a. Uh, this was on a one of these PBS or a Discovery Channel or something like that special about selling a Boeing jet. And it's an interesting transaction point where they have the what's called the keys to the jet, mm-hmm. and they they. I, have I know the, a lot about this, so I'm I'm interested to hear how you play it back. Well, they have these, you know, they they sell the jet to somebody. This contract signed, and then the guy transfers the money. And the money has to show up at the Boeing account to make sure that nobody gets scammed. And I think it's done over a telex system. And once the guy gets the phone call that says, okay, we've got the money, you can give them the key. And he gives them the keys to the jet. They own the jet now. Uh, in other words, these are not done on credit, apparently. No. I mean, there's a lot of... Well, you, you know the term, I'm going to wire you the money? That's where it comes from. Because it literally is, here, I'll just read that. It's a settlement. They use it for financial settlements. So when they send that message, um, it, immediately everything's changed on both sides of those banking accounts. That's what right. the wire is. And that's a, that's a certified transaction. These days, if you want to transfer money internationally, um, you can rarely do it uh, through a, a regular retail account, at least. You can rarely do it immediately. It'll take three to five days of course they hold your money overnight because they make money on it overnight 
And you do that uh, with this uh, SWIFT code, which is, uh, I forget what right. it stands for, but SWIFT is literally, um, you have to add that code so that the U.S. government can uh, track your transfers. Right. That's the only reason for it. But back in the day, it was, uh, you were, you know, so I guess that that's, a, you know, maybe three abstracted layers on top of this old-fashioned settlement system. But I was just amazed by that because, like, wow, man, telexes. That must have been 1981 when I, when I last used one. 81, 82, I think. I think there's a, some software you can use to uh, do telex emulation and still jump onto the system th- uh, through a PC. Well, I remember back in the day... Um, I was at, uh, I was showing off. I can't remember exactly. Oh, I remember what it was. Uh, I had the, uh, do you remember the TRS-100? Remember that, uh, oh. that portable? Yeah, I was one of the, I think I may have been the first person to write about that particular machine. Well, I still have mine. And I, I really, yeah. Oh yeah. That's gotta be, that's probably worth like uh, a 50 grand bucks by now. <laughs> 50 bucks. I'll take it to antiques roadshow. Uh, and uh, so it's basically if you can look it up on the on the web it's a it's a full size keyboard um and it has a it ha- LCD display with i think uh, 8 or 10 lines uh the, and you could program it in basic and you could load up programs but the real beauty of this thing it was basically a, an electronic word processor the real beauty was it had a built-in modem and if i'm not mistaken it was a 300 baud modem and yeah, that sounds it, right. And was real big amongst journalists because, you know, th- these were the hip guys. You must have been one of them, John. You know, they go to a, some kind of event on site and they type and then they'd plug it in and they'd upload it um, either directly to the newsroom, to their editorial desk, or I believe at the time I had an account on, oh, what was it? It might have been Easy Street. Do you remember Easy Street? Nah, maybe. E- easy, well, now you wouldn't. Easy Street um, was a system for co- primarily used for the music industry <clears throat> for a, a concert promoters, so that they could um, you know do a certain accounting functions, etc., online. And it was it was really a one of the first email closed, of course, but it closed email systems. And later, <clears throat> you had uh, the source. I think it was CompuServe and the Source, and you could get on both. Right, those are the two big ones. Right, and the Source later became. What did the Source become? They got bought out by uh, CompuServe. I CompuServe. Think. They got. That's right. They got bought out by CompuServe. So I think it was probably on Source, the Source first, and then on CompuServe. And at the time, you had a gateway, and you could send uh, an email through CompuServe. Which, by the way, back in the day, sit on my knee, kids. Uh, CompuServe email was closed. It was it was a closed system. You could only send email to, to people on CompuServe, um, but you could use a gateway, and it would actually send a telex for like you know five bucks a word or whatever um, from the terminal. And I remember showing off and showing someone in their office said, "Watch, I'm going to type a telex message." And then a secretary came up like 15 minutes later and literally had a telex that had come off of the teletype machine. And, was, and that was eighty, I think eighty one, eighty one or eighty two. Well, that machine came out. I can tell you, when I, you know, if you want, I think it was eighty two because I had the original version of the TRS Model One Hundred was a thing that NEC did, and I had they'd sent me one. It was a, and it was red, and I wrote a column about the red neck. Get it? And uh, I had taken this thing to um, to the rollout of the. IBM PCXT. When they first came out with the PCXT, it was the first machine they had with a hard disk. And uh, I had this little, this, this little laptop, crazy little machine that you described, with me, and I got more attention. <laughs> yeah, than than, than than the whole presentation, right? Yeah, I mean, every writer there was looking at it, going, "Wow, that's cool." You and know? the nice thing about it was, it took standard AA batteries or AAA batteries, I think. You could you just loaded it up, and it would go for hours on those. Oh yeah, here it is. No, four AA batteries runs for sixteen hours on four AA yeah. batteries. How nice! Three point right. three point eight pounds, uh, two point four megahertz processor. Excellent. Eight K of RAM, thirty two K max. Uh, it had the parallel port for a barcode reader, built-in 300 baud modem. I was right, and of course uh, the uh, audio cassette for uh, reading and writing data and programs. <laughs> oh, what? Do you know what the OS was? It was no. What was it? Microsoft Basic version 1.1. I don't think that was the OS. I think it was just running. That yeah. it just ran Basic. 
Mm. Well, it says here it was the OS. I think it. Oh, that's. A, I, th- I don't believe that's true. I think it was a some some like, proprietary something proprietary thing that just ran on to top that of that machine. Yeah, I do remember writing little basic programs in it though. Gosh, I should pull that thing out again and play with it because I remember the keyboard was excellent. It was a the great keyboard. keyboard. Yeah, it was a very popular machine. I think they sold quite a few. In fact, Radio Shack for years was a leader in the desktop computing business. Right, and then they, they had, dropped the, the, they had the color computer. Weren't they selling the PET for a while? No, the PET was Commodore. Or the, or the CPM? It wasn't, what was it? No, no, they were selling. There was always TRS DOS. They had the Model One, the Model Two, the Model Three. I think there was a Model Four. I'm not not absolutely sure on that, but they ran TRS DOS, and there was a bunch of clone DOSs that would run on the things. They were extremely uh, uh, popular, especially the TRS eighty Model One. Yeah, 1. the eighty. I remember the eighty. Sure. And. Um, they were extremely popular and the IBM cl- machines came out the, the the clones came out and then w- w- over time somehow uh, or another uh, Radio Shack I don't know if they lost somebody that was spearheading this they just became non-competitors yeah. and uh, fell off the face of the earth well wasn't it when Apple came out with uh, with first with the Apple II no the Apple II came out in uh, 76 Oh, it was before Six, that. I'm thinking. Oh, really? Um, I remember my, no, my they, dad had an Osborne. The Radio that was Shack cool. was no. They were on at the same time, and the Radio Shack was killing the. I mean, it was really a, extremely popular. It was the IBM PC uh, and the clone PCs that killed it. Right. I mean, the it. Macintosh came out in '84, and it didn't really have much impact on it. It was pretty much the uh, PC uh, compatibles. Yeah, that see, did it. I was I was way into the ZX80. That's that's what I was playing with. And with uh, the little, the and little then, thing you can hold the size of a mouse. That thing? No, no, no. It was um, didn't uh, Sinclair? Clive Sinclair make it? Yeah, yeah. The thing was dinky. Yeah, well, of course it was dinky. And you press the key, and the screen would actually flicker with each. Uh, uh, with each character, which remember, John, I was like fourteen or something like that. You know, I didn't have, didn't have a lot of dough around, and then of course the Vic Twenty, the Commodore Vic Twenty, the predecessor to the Commodore sixty four, that was really my my first real computer that I hacked around with. I built a I built my own acoustic modem uh, to use with it, and we figured out they had these ROM cartridges that you could plug in with games. And we figured out how to copy the games from ROM onto cassettes, and we would sell those. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was an extremely popular machine too. The Big Twenty, and then the Commodore sixty fours were they sold millions of them. Of course, they had to change the name of the Vic Twenty uh, in Germany to the VC Twenty. Oh, really? Yeah, because it sounded too much like uh, Ficken, which means fuck. Oh, really? Yeah, I never heard that story. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ficken. Thicken. Huh. That's with an F, but they figured the Vic. Which is the same thing they say about pod show. It sounds like toilet show. Is that, if, I never if, heard that. Yeah, if pod was, if you, if you wrote pod with a T, pod show. And by the way, the Germans pronounce pod show. Pod show? Pod show. How is it going Pacho. with pod show, Atom? Pod show. Uh, it sounds like a toilet bowl show. Huh. <laughs> which by the way, a lot of our content is exactly that. <laughs> well, yeah, well... <laughs> I try to restrain personally. Toilet bowl show. How are we doing on time? Oh, man, we got to stop. We've been talking <laughs> way too long. We need to stop this. All right. Okay. All uh, right. Well, I think we got enough information out there for people who want to go to Shea Spencer or eat uh, reindeer. <laughs> if, you want, if, you, if, you have, if you like horse, this is the show for you. <laughs> you like eating the horsies. All right. From uh, the Curry Manor in uh, a dark and wet United Kingdom, I'm Adam Curry. And I'm John C. Dvorak in Northern California. And we'll talk to you next week on No Agenda.